0: For this reason, so when here we have another reason also. We thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. I think that's so important, how people receive the word of God. We first noticed that they welcomed it not as the word of men. There are many people in our nation who simply view this book as a compilation of many years and centuries of religious writings that have been compiled and left down to us, but they view it merely as a work of men. And the church in Thessalonica did not do this. They viewed it as the very Word of God. You're looking too far for that need.
1: Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's
0: Word. First Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verses 13 through 18. We're going to be looking at God's effectual Word working to this day, I believe in the lives of those who believe that is what Paul writes to us here at the latter half of verse 13 saying that the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe i believe that i i see god's word working in in my life i see him working daily i've seen him through the years of my life working in my life i've seen him work in my wife's life and our children my family, and many of you. This morning, I wanted to uh, share a testimony. Perhaps you know it, perhaps you don't. It's not my testimony. See, there are different testimonies. God sometimes saves some radical people. I wasn't one of them. And quite often in the Calvary Chapel movement, there are people who believe that every Calvary Chapel pastor has come from some radical background. You know, I, I killed about 25 people and came to the Lord, and I just don't have that testimony. <laughs> I do have a testimony, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm very grateful for it because my testimony is, I believe, very simple, that I was raised in a Christian home to know Jesus, and I accepted him early in my life at the age of seven. And Because of that, the Lord prevented me from going down many trails that would have brought destruction in my life. And so that's kind of a simple version of my testimony. I wanted to share with you what I really pulled from a book we got in our book room called The Harvest and... You know, this is a good read. If you haven't read The Harvest, I would encourage you. They run through. I think there's, uh, there's 10 guys photographed on the back. I think there's actually 12 in The Harvest story. But it's telling some of the stories of some of the pastors who became Calvary Chapel pastors and their life prior to knowing Christ. Only one, Chuck, and another, John Corson, were the only ones that seemed to be on the right trail from the very beginning. All the rest of these guys were fairly messed up. And I just wanted to share a little bit about Raul Reese this morning because it is an amazing thing to see how God can radically change someone's life. And his story, kind of a compilation of 11 pages that's written in the book or 10 pages that's in the book. And then there's also a book on our table called From Fury to Freedom, a larger expansion of his story and what God's doing now. But at the age of nine, Raul would tell the story that he was taken by his dad to all the bars there in Mexico City, and he was forced by his dad to sit outside while his dad went in to get drunk, to carouse around, have women. And he said at the age of nine, he had seen about everything. But the drinking also during that time had led to violence within their household, and so Raul and his mother, Raul being the oldest, were often at the receiving end of this violence that came as a result of his father. Drinking, and Raul would say that I truly hated my father. By the age of 10, mom got fed up with it, moved to LA, took her children, three boys, with her, and Raul said for the first time life was kind of normal. He had a paper route, he did the normal things that a kid should be doing going to school and having friends and activities, and then at some point his dad would come to visit, and then his dad would come to visit, and finally his dad came to stay. And his hatred for his dad continued. His dad didn't change his way, and Raul became a very violent man. He's got, as far as muscle, more mass than me. If you know his story, he's received his uh, master's in kung fu, and so he, in martial arts, is very gifted, but he's, he's not taller than me. He's not really a huge guy, but he had so much anger in him, he would pick on all the big guys and just want to cause him to have a fight and get into a fight. One time at a party, he beat a man so severely, if it wasn't for his friends pulling him off, he probably would have killed him. That led to him being arrested and convicted of assault. And the judge says, you have two options. You can either join the military, Vietnam War was going on at that time, or you can go to prison. And so Raul said, I'll join the military and went and joined the Marines. And in the Marines, For a while, he found what he was looking for. He could do violence, kill people, and he enjoyed it. Twice injured, the second time he was injured, he saw one of the soldiers with him trip a grenade, knew it was going to go off, grabbed him, saw the guy lose his one arm, his two legs, and Raul taking shrapnel in the back, put him on a a Navy ship, a hospital for two weeks, and then sent him back out into the jungles of Vietnam. And on the ship, he saw the maimed men and realized that if he stayed there, that he would probably not make it home. And one day he turned his gun on his captain or sergeant, whoever was in charge of him, and said, if you send me back, I'll kill you. So Ralph found himself back in the States in a mental hospital over a six-month period of time. He says to this day, it's an amazing thing of God that he received an honorable discharge because he shouldn't have received an honorable discharge for his conduct there toward the end. Back in the States, he found his old high school sweetheart, was able to finally convince her to have sex with him. She became pregnant. And the reason I said finally convince her, because she was raised in a Christian family down in South America, in Columbia, I believe, is where her parents were missionaries. And this girl knew better, but had backslidden at this time. But on the day of their marriage, she committed her heart back to jesus sharon just gave her heart back to jesus and they had three boys over a course of five years Raul became the expert in kung fu had his own studio was a womanizer a drunk alcoholic just like his father was and after five years and now sharon receiving the beating end of his fist knowing that her life was in danger her children's life was in danger she decided And I believe it was on an Easter Sunday that she was going to leave Raul. Raul was on a camping trip with his friends. And that Sunday afternoon, she packed her luggage. And because Raul wasn't due back till Monday, she decided to go to church that evening. Raul came early and saw the packed luggage in the house, broke into the house to get in there. And Raul had determined that no guy is going to raise my kids or have my wife. When she comes home, I will kill her. And he took a gun out of his closet, loaded it, and sat there and waited for her. As he was sitting and waiting, got bored, started watching TV, and suddenly he was watching testimonies of hippies, of people of his age, giving testimony about the change that Jesus Christ had made in their lives. And then there was Pastor Chuck, who talked about a message of forgiveness that day, and Raul knelt and prayed, received Christ into his heart. Sharon came home, surprised to see Raul there. Raul excitingly told her that he was a believer now. It took her about two years to finally believe that he was actually a believer. Because he had probably made those promises before, you know, I'll be different this time. And a lot of guys will use Christianity if it can get them what they want out of their family, out of their wives. And God took this man who could barely read at one point, and I think as the Lord grew him, he could barely read. Didn't speak very well, but now he has a doctorate. He's went on to college, and and the Lord has just raised him up. But for a period of time, he went back to his high school. The first time he went to his high school, the principal called the cops on him. This guy has graduated now, and they didn't want him around, had him taken away. And then he came back and again explained what he wanted to do. And God, being involved, the principal said, yeah, you can come, and you can talk to the students during the lunch hour. In California, you do that outside. They don't have inside cafeterias like we do. So for six months, he just simply read scripture to the students. And they would throw milk cartons at him and make fun of him. And, and this is a guy who is filled with rage. And so there's a lot of humbling that took place. And for six months, Raul said the Lord moved him to ask the students if they would like to receive Christ. I'm getting emotional over this guy's testimony. <laughs> and 400 kids accepted Christ that day. He would go on to take many of these and begin a Bible study that ultimately grew into the fellowship that he's at now in Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs. God has just blessed this guy's life, his ministry. His parents both came to the Lord. His brother, his one brother, Xavier, is a pastor at a Calvary Chapel, a uh, Calvary Chapel Pasadena is where he's at in California, and, and just a wonderful man of God himself. I said all this because it's the effectual work of God. It's our history of Calvary Chapel. We have several stories like that, and that's why I would encourage you, if you've never read The Harvest, it's just so exciting to read it, how God can take guys, a lot of the guys that we saw yesterday here at the men's conference via the video screen here, that God has taken these guys and just turned their lives around. And not only just turned their lives around, but and not just get the person, the individual's life on track, but now there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people who believe because of the work that God did in one individual's life, like Raul, like Mike McIntosh, and, and John Corson, and several others that are mentioned in the book. And here in 1 Thessalonians 2:13 it says, For this reason I also, or we also, thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, But as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. At the end of this letter, Paul instructs them to read this letter to the churches. It's an epistle that was written by the hand of God, the spirit of God through this man, Paul, but it's also to us to this day. And so what Paul says there, which also effectively works in you who believe, he means in you. You who are here with me today, in me, God's Word still working effectively in lives this day. So let's go ahead and get into the Word and ask the Lord to bless the teaching of His Word now. Father, we ask that as we read this and realize the effectual work that you had in the church in Thessalonica, in Paul, As we listen to the story of Raul Reese this morning, Lord, the work that you are doing and still doing in this man's life and many others, Lord, and many of us here. Lord, your work in our lives, working effectively in those of us who believe. May you continue to do so. And Lord, at the beginning of this message, there could be someone here today that have never accepted you as Lord and Savior of their life, and they've heard this that your word works effectively, but they've never experienced it. Perhaps, Lord, there is one or two or three or four here, Lord, that they haven't been experiencing the effectual work of your word in their lives. They're believers. They believe in you. They love you. They haven't been walking as they should. And Lord, perhaps you'll prick their hearts to have that desire again to see your word work effectively in them like in days of old, but now, Lord, fresh and new. So we pray for your word to speak to us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. We've already learned that he had a great love for this church, for this fellowship. We know from Acts only that he had three weeks to be with them. He could have been there longer in Philippians. It tells us that there was an offering that came from the church of Philippi to help supply their needs while they were missionaries there. So they could have been there for... A longer period than three weeks, but we don't know this. What we do know is three Sabbaths were mentioned. We do know that because of their work with the Gentiles there in Thessalonica and the Gentiles coming to faith, the Jews became jealous and began to persecute the church. Because of persecution, Paul was asked to leave for the protection of his own life and left Thessalonica. When we read the letter, we learn that he had a great love for this people. He did not want to leave, and he desired to get back to them by any means possible, but was unable to do so. He had, by this time, had sent, and we'll learn this next time in chapter 3, he had sent Timothy to go back to minister to them, and just to make sure that they were sure in their faith. And while Paul's writing this letter, Timothy has returned and said, Paul, they're doing great. They love the Lord, they're following the Lord, they're walking, and they're doing great. And so this letter is a response to his great desire toward them, but also just to encourage them. There were some issues, some things that they had that Paul will address in this letter that he addressed to the church there and to us today. We find once again that it's without ceasing in verse 13, because when you receive the word of God, they give thanks to God without ceasing. And this is a theme that we find throughout this book and also in the next and second Thessalonians. And we know the verse where it says, pray without ceasing, but we find throughout here that Paul did this in chapter 1, verse 3, saying, remembering without ceasing your works of faith, the labor of love, and patience in hope. That it was without ceasing, in verse 2, it referred to the prayers that they're making mention of this church in our prayers. Always, he says, always, we are bringing you before God without ceasing, So in chapter one, he's remembering without ceasing in prayers toward the Father their work of faith. And so as he's praying and he's praying to the Lord, you can just kind of envision Paul, hey, Lord, praise you for how they received the word of God, their work of faith, how they believed and the labor of love that they had and their hope in you and your coming. But he said here in verse 13, another reason for this reason. So when here we have another reason also. We thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. I think that's so important, how people receive the word of God. We first noticed that they welcomed it not as the word of men. There are many people in our nation who simply view this book as a compilation of many years and centuries of religious writings that have been compiled and left down to us. But they view it merely as a work of men. And the church in Thessalonica did not do this. They viewed it as the very word of God. I like how Paul worded it there in verse 13. He said, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God. In truth, hey, it's the Word of God. As it is, it's the Word of God. Sadly, this Word is not being honored as it should in our nation today. We think about Paul as he came to the church there, and they weren't even a church, to the town of Thessalonica, that as he went to the synagogue, began to present scripture to them, proving that Jesus was the Christ. There was a point to where some of these, mostly Gentile believers, believing in God, God fears as they'd be referred to in Scripture, realized that the whole of the Scripture was speaking about Jesus. He began to, as Paul tells us, he began to explain and demonstrate from Acts chapter 17, explain and demonstrate about Christ, that he was the Messiah. They realized that the word spoke about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. From the very beginning of Scripture, we get into Genesis, and we realize that Jesus was part of that plan. God didn't readjust things when Adam and Eve fell. He just revealed to us for the very first time that one day he would send his son. Genesis 3.15 refers to that, to us in Scripture, the very first prophecy of Scripture concerning Jesus. That's found in the Bible And John said, or wrote to us in John 5, 39, Jesus saying to the Jews that were around him, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they that speak about me. Guys, it's all about me. You're looking through the word, and in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they that talk about me. The word is all about me. And so the message that they received from the word, from the Lord at that time, It's the same message that we are teaching to this day. We look through scripture and our style of teaching here at Calvary Chapel to go through the whole Bible and to take the whole of God's word. And as I go through the Bible, I'm always seeing Jesus throughout scripture and, and realize that it is all about him. My faith is actually being built up. Paul shared with the church in Thessalonica. He shared with Peter, James, and John in Galatians 2. And Paul tells us that they gave me the right hand of fellowship. Hey, the message you're preaching is good. Go for it. And Paul said, we became, we meaning Paul and Barnabas, the apostles to the Gentiles, and they meaning Peter, James, and John, the apostles to the Jews. But it was the same message of the gospel, all pointing back to Jesus, that Jesus died And rose again, and life is available through faith in him. The simplicity of that. In our church constitution and bylaws, Article 3, Statement of Faith, it reads this. We believe the Bible to be the inspired, infallible, authoritative word of God and inerrant in its original writings. Not only do we have this statement of faith in our governing body, but I believe that personally. I don't open the scripture and think, gee, what mistakes can I find in the Bible today? But there are people who do that all the time. It's their whole goal in life. I think one of the worst testimonies of a supposed believer and his non-faith in the word of God, this is a, you know, one of the doctors in theology, one of the guys that doesn't trust the word of God. And I heard this testimony via radio years ago, about 15 years back. But he said, in the beginning of my studies, I had 45 things that I questioned in the word of God. Through my years of study now, almost all but I believe three have been answered. God's word proven true in all but three of his 45 questions. And yet the guy said, I still don't believe in the inspired, inerrant word of God. Again, how much do you need, man? How far do you have to go? Well, for him, it must be the last three need to be answered too. It was an issue of faith, man. They heard the word of God in truth as it was the word of God and God's word worked effectively in them. And I believe that God's word to this day will work effectively in each of us, not just believing in it, but as we believe in Jesus. And then as we immerse ourselves in the word of God, we'll watch God's word do a work in our own lives. And then we'll have that testimony. And so when I pick up the word of God, I pick it up knowing that God has been watching over and caring for this book through the ages. Not only has this been the most popular book, but this book has been the most attacked book in history. Voltaire announced once that by the end of this century, the Bible would be obsolete. You know, the evolution, it was everything was starting to come into play, and they figured out that God wasn't real, and he said by the end of this century, the Bible will be obsolete. God will not exist any longer. By the end of that century, they had bought his house, set up a Bible printing shop in his house, and they were producing Bibles out of the guy's house that said it's never going to happen, never going to last. To this day, it's God's Word, and it's working effectively. If you believe, notice that that's part of that verse in verse 13, which also works effectively in you who believe and you who believe, hey, you take the believing out of it. It's not going to work effectively in you, but you throw that in faith and not only God's word, but in whom it's written about faith in God and faith in Jesus Christ. God's word is going to work effectively in you. I believe that God's word has worked effectively in many of your lives, is working effectively in many of your lives today. Are we being imitators of the churches who have gone before us? Or is God's word slipping from our grasp here in the, as a nation? It is. But how about here in our fellowship? I do care what's happening in the nation, in our world. I do. But I am primarily concerned with what's happening in my life, in your life. What's could it be Your crown of rejoicing. Here, Lord, here it is, man. I know it's not much, but I've taken the two talents that you gave me, and and here they are, four. And he'll say, Well done. I've taken the five, here they are, ten. Great. Well done. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Here's your talent back, Lord. Can I get to heaven by the skin of my teeth now? That's the attitude of some of us. May it not be our attitude here today, Father. We ask that you would bless your word. May it work effectively in us who believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And may the Lord God bless you and keep you. May his face always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit.